Today's show is brought to you by the FCFL. The fan-controlled football league is making fantasy football a reality. Like a real-life version of Madden, fans will vote on all personnel decisions and play calls in real time. And what the fans say goes. Visit fcfl.io to learn more. The FCFL, where you are in control. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 70 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find all my work over at 2QBs.com. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. And you can find the site on Twitter at 2QBs, spelled the same way. On the line, one of the OG 2QBs contributors, Anthony Amico, also of Rotoviz, And uh, you can find him on Twitter at Amixta. Anthony, am I missing anything else uh, you want to plug here up front? Uh, no, I mean, most of the, pretty much everything I've done the last, like, Four months is at Rotoviz and two QBs, so that's uh that covers it all, I think, in terms of what I'm doing right now. Good deal. Hey, man, I know that you've been getting into fantasy baseball a little bit this year, and I'm I'm sure that that's not what all of our audience wants to hear about right now. But I'm super into fantasy baseball, and I kind of want to tie it into what we do for football. And so, in your prep for baseball in 2018, what, what do you think has been the biggest challenge in shifting your mindset from fantasy football? to fantasy baseball like what doesn't overlap quite as well as you want it to well personally like i just don't have like the same feel for baseball that i do for football just like intrinsically as a sport like i never really played it growing up i've never coached it i don't really watch it that much so like there's this like no matter how much research i do there's kind of like this gap in like i don't know just like basic baseball understanding but like the the weird thing that I I guess I kind of really like about baseball is that like I feel like you don't necessarily need that to to find success in fantasy baseball. Whereas like in football, I think you need to understand like how the players work together because it's just like this super team oriented sport. And then baseball is like really more of like an individual sport played as a team sport. So like the research that you do is actually like pretty like there's a lot of viability to it. Like I feel like when I look at numbers and I see like that Mike Trout has like this massive woba, like I know that that's like he's actually a good hitter. Like I don't have to worry about like, well, like you know, in a small sample next year, like he may hit like 220. You know, like it's it's I don't know. I, I like it. I like it a lot actually. Yeah, I mean, you could look at Giancarlo Stanton or one of the best hitters in the league and know that that guy's just going to hit a bunch of home runs, and that's inherent to his ability. It doesn't matter what the team around him is doing as long as teams aren't completely pitching around him, maybe like they used to do to Barry Bonds back in the day, then he's going to see pitches to hit, you know, often enough to drive those over the wall. Whereas in football, you see like a, a top running back. If he doesn't have, like if he has a trash offensive line in front of him, like that kind of kills his value to some extent, right? Yeah, definitely. And like, I, I feel like the, um, like the guys hitting in front of you or ahead of you, like I know people like say that that matters a little bit, but I don't think that the it's as near, well, it's definitely not nearly as meaningful as, you know, your teammates are in football. Yeah, I mean, it matters to the stats, right? Especially the stats that are inherently team-based stats, like RBIs and run, or right. runs. I did that backwards. I wasn't supposed to pluralize RBI, you know, because of the, the S is in the runs part, like right in the middle. <laughs> but semantics, man, semantics. Um, 
So, I mean, are there any other advantages or insights that you, you've brought to baseball from all the work you've done as a football analyst? Like anything that translates, you know, better uh, than you expected? I mean, just the, the projections are just immensely more valuable. Like I did a bunch of, I did like a bunch of graphs and stuff that I posted on my Twitter because I just thought it was interesting. I'm sure it's out there already from someone else, but like, just like the accuracy of projections year over year and like the accuracy of like, previous production year over year is like really really strong in baseball whereas for football it's like kind of all over the place like there's a little bit of uh stability year over year in certain football stats but like for the most part like fantasy points and stuff like you know especially when you consider like all the injuries and games played and stuff like that there's a lot of variation and like in baseball it's like you can explain like 60 percent of the variance like just by looking at what guys did last year i just think that that's really interesting and, and really helpful well, especially because there are certain stats that'll give you an idea of why a player was lucky or what or why something might have been an outlier. Like we don't have that stuff quite as much in football. Like you can look at a like a bad batting average on balls in play or BABIP, and you know generally the league is going to hit around 300 on balls they put in play, right? And if you're you know if, if one single player hit you know 380 on balls in play, then you know that that's not good. Now we see that stuff with touchdown rates and quarterbacks, but I don't know. I feel like we don't have as many of those kind of underlying stats for football yet, or at least they're not readily available to everybody or, or common enough in our analysis. And I mean, that's on us, I guess. But is there anything you think we can take from your prep on baseball in that regard, like stuff that might be a little bit more predictive or anything along those lines and port it over to football? Nothing really predictive, but like the thing that I'm kind of trying to get back to is just simplicity. Like I, I feel like we've hit this point in football where mm-hmm. it's just so popular and you know, everyone wants to talk about it, write about it. And that's awesome. Cause we love football, but there's kind of like this information overload going into every season where it's like, you can make a projection on a player or like make a ranking of a player. And then like you hear like one stat from like Roto world or like an article and you're like, Oh man, like, and then you end up like massively overweighing it because you have no idea. Like, what it's really worth. Um, so I think just kind of like keeping it simple, trying to find two or three things that really matter to you and, and trying to base a lot of your, a lot of what you think like off those, uh, you know, a few qualities. I think that's going to, that's important for football. Cause we really just like, like in baseball, you can test all this stuff and we know like how much something matters. And, and, you know, to a certain degree we can do that in football as well, but there's just so many different ways to look at, at this game that, if you try to do it from every angle, like you're just going to like you could have 50 totally different sets of rankings and they could all make sense. Oh, yeah. A lot of it comes down to preference and like where you're drafting, what type of league you're in, like all that stuff. Like context is is king, as always. But um, I, I, I like what you were kind of getting at in terms of simplification, you know, getting to a point where we don't need every stat to figure out if a player's good. And like th- there's a lot of value in having shortcuts, mental shortcuts. Uh, statistical shortcuts, like things to make your life easier. And if you can boil down, you know, a a set of players into, you know, a few metrics that make sense to you and that do translate to success for the most part, like, you know, accurate to, you know, 60% of the time or something like that, I think that's worth doing in terms of football. Like when you look at the the quarterback position, because we talk about two QB leagues on this podcast, like at quarterback, what are those, like, how are you simplifying? What are you looking for in a QB uh, to kind of show you that he's a good player or a player that you want to use in fantasy? I mean, I, I really just want to look at 
offensive quality. I mean, I think for, for most positions, offensive quality is really, really important. At quarterback, offensive quality is actually a lot of times determined by the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just looking at like basic efficiency numbers, like yards per attempt, I really like. Um, fantasy points per game. <laughs> right, yeah. like Guys who have done it before, fantasy points per game. Like I think that we've seen enough. We've seen enough at this point, I think, to know that touchdown rates are like really unstable. We know like what the average should be. So I think in terms of like pricing the market, you want to look at those numbers. Um, but past that, I'm probably not really looking at it uh, terribly, terribly much. I mean, uh, we've seen in a bunch of work now where it's like even the guys that we've seen throw a lot of passes, there's still like these huge error bars that result in like wide gaps and touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's it's mostly yards per attempt. I want to see how productive the offense was probably the year prior and uh, fantasy points. Yep. And I mean, that offensive stuff is stuff that translates back to baseball too. And that's where you were getting into that conversation about batting order and lineup. Like the better the lineup is, the more opportunities your guys are going to have to drive in runs to score runs because the players around them are better. And uh, that stuff is way more important in football because, you know, every player is like, there are 11 guys on the field at the same time, right? Um, Hitters are still just sequential. It's a linear progression through the, the batting lineup. But, um, Anyway, let's 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 forget about baseball. Let's get to football exclusively here. And I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Tyrod Taylor going to the Browns. This is an interesting move because we know they're going to draft a QB with one of those first two picks. I mean, I I, I say we know, we don't know, but <laughs> chances are, right? We hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how do we avoid Tyrod Taylor getting Mike Lennon in this situation? Like, how many games do you expect him to start for Cleveland in 2018? Yeah. So I think that the big difference between a Tyrod and a Mike Lennon is that Tyrod is actually good. Like I feel like if they draft a quarterback, mm-hmm. which they probably will, the move to trade for Tyrod kind of signifies that they already have decided they don't want that guy to have to play right away. So I feel like he's going to have to play. I want to say like at least like six games, and it kind of depends like how the team is doing. Like the Browns are in a situation now where they want to win. Like they want to win some games. Just so that they can at least say, like, we're doing it better now than what we did before. Like, there's this, like, awkward, like, vindictive quality between, like, Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown. And, like, Sashi's gone. Like, the team brought in John Dorsey. Like, I feel like they really want to prove themselves for this regime. Uh, and that means that they want to compile some wins. So, uh, you know, Tyrod can definitely do that. I think that having him allows them to maybe pick one of the younger quarterbacks in the class like a Darnold or a Rosen like I I feel like or even an Allen you know who they think maybe is like a little more raw or a bit of a project like they may do that and just say like we don't have to play this guy right away we know that that's kind of what the Chiefs have done you know in the past like that's what they did last year Um, you know John Dorsey I believe was there when they drafted Pat Mahomes and then they they sat him all year so I kind of feel like that's more that's more likely the situation here but it definitely depends on like how well Tyrod plays if he plays terrible like they're, I would say that the leash is pretty short. But I think that if he's playing well, I could definitely see him playing as many as all the games. Yeah, I mean, I think that comparison you made to the Chiefs was, I mean, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. It's a lot like what happened with Alex Smith last year, where, you know, they wanted him to be the starter and get them through that season. And you know, if they had gone in the toilet and started off one and six, then maybe we would have we would have seen Pat Mahomes sooner. And that might be the case in Cleveland too, if if Taylor can't get it done, right? But if they can remain quasi-competitive approach maybe a 500 record with Tyrod under center I I agree I think that that probably means that the rookie is not going to see a whole lot of action 
do you think that Taylor being traded to the Browns signifies something about how they're going to use those first two picks they have at number one and number four overall in the draft? I don't think so, just because I, you know, ultimately you need the quarterback. New regimes almost always mean new quarterbacks. So I certainly think that they're still going to draft one, and that's really the only position that I think maybe changes here. Like, there's, It's not like there's a receiver in the, in the top ten that I think people want where, like, trading for Landry like makes a difference like I just think that they're definitely going to take a quarterback probably first overall and then at four they could take you know any number of guys Mika Fitzpatrick Bradley Chubb maybe I guess Saquon but uh yeah I I don't think that this move changes that because they they do have a ton of cap space so it's not like it's not like paying Tyrod 16 million this year is like affecting them or they're even considering that Uh, I think they really just want to be ready for basically 2019 at the quarterback position yeah I think I might have misworded my question to you I guess more what I was asking is do you think I I agree that you know before they traded for Tyrod that the first pick was almost certainly going to be the QB and now that they've traded for him do you think maybe that means that they'll wait till pick four to get the QB and use that first pick on someone else like I think you know going Bradley Chubb at one then QB at four makes sense or you know if you buy into the Saquon hype maybe they take Saquon number one overall and then wait to get their QB till the fourth pick do you do you think there's any validity to those sorts of approaches, or do you think they're better off still just going QB at one? So I think that this is like a really good example of the difference between like the fantasy football mindset and like the quote unquote like football guy mindset. Mm-hmm. Because like for us, like we may think like okay, there's like four or five really good quarterbacks in this draft. If the Browns take a non-quarterback at one it's 100% likely that they can get a quarterback at four, right? Like, if they like Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and uh, Sam Darnold, like, it's 100% likely that they can get one of those guys at four. Yep. But, like, GMs, at least, like, traditional GMs, like, don't I feel, don't think about stuff like that. Like, I feel like there is, like, this – they have, like, a need to want to make the decision themselves and to say, like, this is the guy that we value over all the guys – um, and certainly I think that a lot of times like there's merit to that, but like, I don't think that even if they have like two or three guys that are close that they would wait till four just because I, I think that they want to really put the stamp on like, this is our guy. And, uh, you know, obviously you only really have that opportunity at, at one. Okay. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, rookie drafts, rookie quarterbacks, uh, ADP, Anthony's rankings in a little bit, but first a uh, word from our sponsor. If you love drafting your fantasy team, imagine drafting a real professional team. The Fan-Controlled Football League is bringing fantasy sports and Madden franchise mode to a real football field. Fans will scout players, draft rosters, hire coaches, call plays, and more. The FCFL will feature eight professional teams playing 7-on-7, fast-paced, indoor football in a high-tech production studio built for a digital audience. This is the next generation of fantasy football, where fans get rewarded for dominating through the league's proprietary fan token. To learn more about fan tokens and the FCFL, visit fcfl.io. All right, we're back, and we need to talk about two QB rookie drafts uh, because, you know, we're starting to see the mocks come through. We have some ADP up at the site. Uh, Miko, you have some rankings coming up on the site as well. I think by the time this podcast goes up, those will be published. And there's a little bit of discrepancy there, and I kind of want to pick your brain on that. And we talked a lot about the Browns still taking a quarterback with Tyrod in town. There are a lot of other QB needy teams as well. Um, but just for a, a quick refresher on the ADP that we have to this point, there's a clear kind of tier one of rookie QBs, and all of them are going in the top 10 of rookie drafts right now, at least in two quarterback formats. 
Uh, it's in this order, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Sam Darnold. Tier two is kind of one guy. It's Josh Allen. His ADP is about pick 16. And then tier three, one guy, Mason Rudolph, uh, ADP of 29.5. And then tier four is uh, Kyle Lauletta and Luke Falk, who are both outside the top 40 in rookie ADP. Your rankings are a little bit different, Anthony. You have Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson in the top tier. Uh, tier two, Darnold, Rosen, Mason Rudolph, Lauletta, and Allen. And then Tier 3 and beyond, you have a lot of guys ranked who, I'll admit, I, I know very little about most of those guys. We're going to get into that, but before we do, um, you, you've got some articles up at Rotoviz recently, Combine Winners, Combine Losers, and in those pieces, uh, your battery mate Jordan Hoover called out Luke Falk's disappointing Combine, and among multiple red flags for Falk, Jordan noted a small hand size. But Baker Mayfield has the same hand size, nine and a quarter inches, what has Mayfield done in college, and what is he capable of doing in the NFL that allows him to transcend this concern about his hand size and rank as the top fantasy rookie, both in ADP and your rankings? Like, what, what are you seeing there that makes you not care about this one downside? Yeah, um, well, before I even say that, I mean, tw- hand size Twitter was lit this year. I'm like, sure, there's yeah. just so many hand sizes to discuss with all these viable quarterbacks. But, I mean, Mayfield has just been, like, way too efficient for me to care, I guess is like the best way to phrase it. Like he's, he's the most efficient college quarterback ever. Like it's not like an exaggeration. Like that's an actual fact. He um, has just completely crushed, particularly the last two years at Oklahoma, uh, 11.1 yards per attempt and 11.5 respectively. And uh, adjusted yards per attempt, which includes touchdowns and interceptions, uh, 12.3 AYA and 12.9. Like he has just been so, ridiculously efficient the only guy collegiately that really comes close is Russell Wilson in his final year at Wisconsin so I just like I think that hand size matters in a vacuum I'm sure that there I'm sure that it has a real application to the game you know obviously at the grip of football that stuff's important but like I just I just don't see it having an impact on his production because it hasn't had an impact on his production to date. So I guess that's probably the best way to phrase my feelings. Well, how do you resolve that against like the team that he was playing for as well? Like supporting cast matters here too. Doesn't that inflate his numbers to some extent? Uh, yes and no. I mean, like, so the thing that I always say because that's probably like the most common pushback I get, right? Is that like sure? That's I mean, that's why I'm making the argument. I got to play devil's advocate here, right? Like he played in the Big Twelve, which is like basically like the wild wild west of college football he played you know with some pretty good players i mean his tight end is going to get drafted i don't really think that any other guys on his offense are anything special but like i I think that first of all like the the big 12 thing is a little bit overblown if you look at like uh just like historic pass efficiency by conference they're not even the the top conference the sec actually is uh, which is a little counterintuitive but i i'm not necessarily sure that like the whole Big 12 thing matters that much. There's still a bunch of pretty good defenses. If you look at like the football outsiders, S and P plus uh, pass defense, which is, I always use those in like the final game logs in my uh, armchair reports on two QBs. So mm-hmm. like, if you look at some of the defenses that he played this year, you know, Georgia was ranked sixth, Ohio state was 12th. TCU was ranked 15th. He played them twice and Texas was 16th. And he just slayed all these teams. So, like, I don't, you know, even if you look at a conference at the teams that he played, he was still really good. So, I mean, maybe his, maybe his, like, overall numbers would be a little bit worse if he was playing 
uh, you know, top 20 teams all the time. But I mean, that's pretty much true for everyone. But if you look at his, you know, splits against top 16 teams and S&P plus this year, he still had an 11.8 AYA. So only slightly worse really than what he's done over the course of the full season. So I just don't really think that I think that even if we factor it in strength of opponent, he's still been exceptional. So do you think he should be the first overall pick based upon that stuff? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think he's the best quarterback in the draft, and quarterback is obviously the most important position in football, so I would certainly be taking him first. I know that there's some murmurings about other guys, and, and you know, I mean, listen, this is hard, right? Like, yeah. drafting quarterbacks is really hard. I certainly think that there's an argument to be made for a lot of these guys. You know, Sam Darnold is so young. Uh, Josh Rosen has played three full college seasons already at a young age like he's basically been a phenom since he was in high school uh, you know I think that you could definitely make an argument for drafting these guys Lamar Jackson is kind of like an unprecedented playmaker so there's certainly reasons I think to take all these guys but for me ultimately give me the guy that has just been outrageously uh, efficient outrageously accurate and uh, you know overall just overwhelmingly productive so you have Lamar Jackson number two in your rankings, and you have him in the same tier as Baker Mayfield, but mm-hmm. we know he's probably not going to be drafted in the NFL draft with that sort of capital. We're banking on some rushing production from him to justify that higher ranking for fantasy. How close of a runner-up is Lamar Jackson behind Mayfield in your rankings, and what chance do you think Jackson has to post the better fantasy career of this year's crop of rookie passers? Do you think he could end up being the best fantasy player from this group? Yeah, it was really, really close for me. And uh, something that I mentioned in the rankings article, which, again, you can check out at 2QBs, uh, is that I probably I probably would have ranked Jackson first if this was a one, if I was ranking for one QB uh, fantasy football, just because I think that, like, year N kind of matters, like, a lot more in, in a format where there's just a ton of quarterback depth. Uh, in two-quarterback, I think that you want probably, like, the overall longevity that Mayfield, I think, will have. But, I mean, Jackson, because of what he does as a runner, to me is just always going to be an excellent fantasy play because, you know, we've already seen a bunch of these other guys. Like we mentioned Tyrod Taylor, you know, Michael Vick, Cam Newton, like these guys that can run and that run effectively, they are always threatening as top fantasy quarterbacks, um, even if what they're doing with their arm isn't isn't successful. So, like, I think that, like, if I was just ranking this from, uh, like, what should a football team do – best franchise quarterback option, I probably wouldn't rank Lamar Jackson first or second. But I think that when we're thinking fantasy, he has to be up there because what he does with the legs gives him like this huge leg up, no pun intended, over the field. I mean, if he if he is average as a passer, he's going to be a top end fantasy quarterback. And if he's below average as a passer, he's still going to be a playable fantasy quarterback. So the only real thing that you're worried about with Jackson is, uh, you know, him basically being stigmatized against or or just not being effective or being so bad as a passer that it cost him his job. But I think any time that he's on the field, even if he's not doing it in a real football sense, he's going to be productive as a fantasy quarterback. Yeah, definitely. Now I want to dive a little bit deeper into the QB ranks here because while we've admitted that, you know, drafting these guys and scouting these guys is difficult for NFL teams, let alone fantasy analysts, that you know, sometimes we do see value come from the later rounds of the position. It's not very frequent, but it does happen. And, I mean, one of the reasons why I want to talk to you specifically about this is that you saw something in Dak Prescott a couple of years ago that not a lot of people saw um, as a you know an incoming rookie. 
So if, if we're going beyond who we see as the clear-cut guys in ADP, you know, beyond Kyle Lauletta and Luke Falk, there are a lot of different quarterbacks that you have listed in your article. And the first guy who, you know, you have ranked the highest who doesn't have a spot in our rookie draft ADP is Logan Woodside. What do you like about him? What does he bring to the table? I think um, Logan Woodside is like is like Mac football, Baker Mayfield. Like, like he is... He was crazy, crazy efficient. Like he, um, you know, he's a five-year player. So like in year three, he got hurt. He missed the whole year. But since he came back from that injury, he's been amazing. 11.1 AYA in 2016, 9.9 this past season. Uh, So super efficient. Obviously, he's playing in a worse conference of football. He's not really facing the same opposition, but still really productive. Toledo doesn't really have you know, like an alpha receiver or a guy that I think is going to be a tremendous impact player at the next level. I mean, I think that Deontay Johnson, who they have, is really fun, and I could definitely see him being viable, but they don't have, like, it's not like they have, like, a Corey Davis kind of a player where he's just, like, a a lock, you know, top 10 or top 15 pick, and that's why Woodside's been so good. He's just really been a, a producer with all these guys around him. So for me, like, you know... He's going to get drafted later. He's probably going to be like day four, uh, day four, day three, <laughs> maybe undrafted. So maybe we'll count that as day four. But like, and he's smaller. And I think his size, you know, definitely is a big factor there. But that collegiate efficiency really kind of opens my eyes. He's really the most efficient passer. Like once you get past, uh, like in, AD, in terms of like the ADP, like once you get past uh, Rudolph, he's the most efficient guy out there really from a career standpoint. So I, uh, I really think that he has probably the best shot at like these late guys to, you know, maybe get some run and then maybe impress enough to to kind of stay there. So maybe, maybe like uh, in like a Case Keenum kind of a sense where like Case Keenum was just a monster in college and then uh, you know had to wait his time and ended up being you know a pretty good player. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. I mean, the the thing that fascinates me about this year is that there are so many promising prospects in the class, right? And so we have to figure out where to. Like, not only how to rank them, right, which quarterback we like the most versus, you know, the rest of the group, and then, you know, who we like the second most, we also have to figure out where we think we can find value in rookie drafts or in startup drafts. So are you more likely to pay up for those top-tier guys, or do you hope that, like, the second-tier guys slide to you? Like, where where are you trying to find value in Dynasty Leagues? I mean, I definitely really like the guys at the top. This is a really great quarterback class. And I don't think that there's a huge number of like must-haves at the skill positions. Like certainly Saquon is, but you know once you get past the first like three or four guys, like I'm really thinking quarterback, especially in two QB. And the the one spot of the draft board right now that is just really standing out to me is that Mason Rudolph ADP 29.5. Yeah, is just delicious because I think that he is way, 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 way closer to like the Darnold, Jackson, Rosen. I mean, obviously I, I tiered him in the same tier as, as Darnold and Rosen. And ranked him ahead um, of Josh Allen. Right. And he's going way after those guys. Like I kind of thought that Rudolph would be like an early second, uh, an early second round pick in, in rookie drafts. And he's just being like completely discounted, which is shocking to me because again, he has been very, very efficient, played in the same conference as, as Baker Mayfield, but been very efficient. If you look and compare him to uh, like a Patrick Mahomes, from last year, uh, you know, still really, really greatly outproduces what Mahomes did at Texas Tech. 
there's a bunch of common opponents between those two players because they played in the same conference. So really easy to compare. I have that comparison in my uh, Mason Rudolph armchair report. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> and I, I just think that like Rudolph is the guy that everyone wants Josh Allen to be. He's like the six foot five guy with the good arm who is actually productive as opposed to Allen, who is just, I think just like a lot of like, he's like the toolsy kind of guy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just don't really, I don't like that. I think that Rudolph, even as like a late first round pick in the NFL draft or second round pick, he will not get the immediate playing time that some of these other guys will see. But I do think that by 2019, I would expect him to kind of be a starter in the league. And I certainly think that he can be productive. You brought up something interesting with regard to the other skill positions, you know, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and how this year isn't a great time for those positions in fantasy. In a one-quarterback dynasty league, do you think that that, would you allow that to justify using higher picks on QB? I mean, it, it makes intuitive sense, but still we're conditioned in one-quarterback leagues to not care about QBs at all, especially in rookie drafts, because, you know, there are just so many more pressing needs at running back and wide receiver do you think this is a year where it might actually be worth paying up for some of these quarterbacks just because the other skill position players are not quite as good or, or don't project to be as good of NFL players? It's pretty interesting, actually, because I, I think that in one quarterback fantasy, the position is just so saturated mm -hmm. that I really only want a guy if I think he's a true difference maker. So like those tier one guys, Mayfield, Jackson, I could see I could see spending like a mid second round pick on those guys in a rookie draft one quarterback but I'm always really kind of trending towards the scale positions because they're just so much more valuable in general a guy even with a low a low potential to hit is going to be more valuable than a quarterback with a high potential to hit uh just because of the position but I think that like this year I mean off the top of my head there's really only like 15 or so guys that I feel like pretty good about and, like, the third round in rookie drafts this year, I feel like it's just going to be awful. So, like, that that's, like, where I think you definitely want to be looking at quarterbacks. Like, I could see I could see a bunch of these guys going off the board in round three and one QB just because sometimes you look at the board and you're like, all right, I can take Bo Scarborough or I could take Sam Darnold. And I'm like, I think I want I, – I, I want – like, sometimes I just want a guy – that is going to give me some value later. And I think the quarterbacks eventually will do that. And I think it'll happen probably a little earlier than usual. Yeah. I think the, the rub for one QB dynasty is just that every team is already going to have at least some sort of plan at quarterback and feel pretty good about it. Right. You could have mm -hmm. Matt Ryan or Tyrod Taylor. Maybe you don't feel quite as good about Tyrod Taylor anymore, but you know, you could have a lot of different options at the quarterback position and feel like you're fine. You know what I mean? Whereas running back and wide receiver, we always want more of those players. We always want somebody, even if the chances aren't great, we're willing to hold on to a Brashad Perriman for three years. You know what I mean? And that inherent value that you mentioned there, the fact that running backs and wide receivers not only are more valuable to us as owners, they're more valuable to our opponents as owners, there's a little bit more incentive to still draft those positions higher than QB, in my opinion, like in a one-quarterback dynasty. But, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that if, if this year, if there is a significant drop-off at running back, at wide receiver, in that second or third round of rookie drafts, then, I don't know, maybe you do take the QB, and you 
accept that, you know, all of these running backs and wide receivers are long shots anyway. If I'm taking a long shot, why not save that for the third round or the fourth round of my rookie draft, right? Yeah, and, I mean, really, just, just play 2QB and Superflex Dynasty. Like, why? Totally. That, that the more that the more time <laughs> that you. goes on, I'm like, why do I do this one quarterback stuff in Dynasty especially? Because that's, like, the position where the quarterbacks last. Like, the, the, the one position that lasts the longest in fantasy is quarterback, and you can't use them, like, you know, like, because you only start one. Like, yeah, I love, I love uh, Dynasty with, with quarterback, uh, two quarterback and super flex. It's awesome. Man, that's why I invite you on the show, Anthony. It's like, it, it, <laughs> you take the words right out of my mouth. It's like, this is the reason you play two quarterback. And, you know, we celebrate that here. And, and I appreciate it. you as the guest bringing that up, man. That's awesome. So in deeper Dynasty leagues, 2QB again. Who from the lower tiers interests you the most as kind of one of those later pick long shots? Maybe, maybe not Logan Woodside because we already talked about him. Is there anybody else who kind of jumps out to you as like some sneaky value for uh, two quarterback dynasty? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Quentin Flowers stands out a little bit just because he might not even get drafted as a quarterback right now. Like he he's ranked on like a couple of sites as a running back. And I know the teams wanted to see him in like the running back drills. I'm not really sold that he tested well enough athletically to get drafted at that position, so I'm kind of hoping that that means he'll get his shot at, at, at quarterback. And I definitely think that he deserves it. I mean, Quentin Flowers is uh, basically the most productive player in his school's history. Granted, it's only University of South Florida. But, you know, this was a guy that was able to be a productive passer. You know, uh, yards per attempt over eight each of his last three seasons. Uh, really productive with his feet over 990 yards rushing each of his last three seasons. So uh, really kind of can do it all. He's definitely, you know, more of like the tie rod or maybe if I want to go like real dark ages, like Troy Smith, kind of a, kind of a long shot, like probably not, probably not going to be a, a good thrower. Like I could see that being a real issue, but he's not like super small in terms of weight. Like he's, 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 around like 200 pounds if he gets a shot at quarterback pretty similar to like what i was saying about lamar jackson like because he can run he's probably going to be productive in like those weird spot starts he's probably just never going to be an all-the-time guy because like he's the guy right now where like um like we see with tyrod where like no matter how productive he's been like teams are just trying to get rid of him so even if flowers is is productive i feel like he probably won't ever be like a long-term option, but I think he'll definitely uh, have like some valuable spot starts in his career. When I hear people talk about rushing dominant QBs like that, I, my mind always wanders off to, to Joe Webb, you know, those guys who really are never going to be like a long-term solution, but you might get a couple random games during the season, which, which do matter in two quarterback formats for sure. Early on when uh, Terrell Pryor was starting at QB for the Raiders, like, he didn't pass very well at all, but he was usable for rushing ability alone in fantasy. Now the, the Raiders weren't any good at that time, but you know maybe Quentin Flowers is a guy who you know can fill in for a couple weeks, and that's why you need to know his name, and that's why you need to know you know what type of player he is, because even if he's not quite ready to you know be the the answer for a team as a franchise, you know long term. For our fantasy teams, we don't care about that quite as much, and, and maybe we can use him. So I, I like that you brought him up. I want to talk about the other positions, too. I mean, we, we've stumped for two-quarterback as a format, but 
the great thing about two QB leagues is that the other positions do still matter. We still have to worry about wide receivers and running backs. It's just we play two QB to add quarterback to that equation. You had a uh, a recent article at Rotoviz about uh, wide receiver prospect models and evaluation, specifically tied to breakout age. But I wanted to kind of take you. Uh, I, this is something I didn't put on the show notes, but I want to surprise you with a question about. Uh, a kind of a throwaway line that was in the article where you noted that college career rushing yards for wide receivers lines up as an, an important split. Why do you think that is just kind of in the abstract? What does your research tell you? What does your intuition tell you? So like, I feel like we've always had this obsession with guys who are really athletic, right? Like that's why we care about the combine, right? Like we, we watch the combine, we look at all the numbers and then we like way overreact to like all these numbers that guys put up in like shorts. But there's a lot of instances, I think, within the context of a football game, which to me is always more valuable, that can reveal, you know, some more athleticism. And like special teams is definitely one. John Moore has written a bunch about that at Rotoviz. Uh, but I think that this like wide receiver rushing is definitely a factor in that equation as well. Because I mean, if you're if you're given the ball on like an end around or uh, maybe even a, a straight handoff, that's your team trying to get you the ball, like it's telling you your team is like you're you're our guy we need to get you the rock we're not 100 percent sure that we're going to be able to get it to you 10 times throwing <laughs> it to you so we're going to give you a couple handoffs we're going to try to get you keep you in the mix it's a big reason why these guys return kicks too it's just you know coaches and especially in college like they want to get the ball to the money like that's how they win games that's how they get these big ridiculous coaching contracts so like i think that the rushing for these receivers like kind of displays this unique athleticism that maybe traditional statistics isn't really capturing. Um, because when you look at the guys who make the split, like in this particular article, it's like Stefan Diggs, Sammy Watkins, Julio Jones, guys who we know yeah, are, are really special good? athletically. Yeah. Like, right. Like, are they good? Like they're pretty good. So, <laughs> so yeah, like I think that that's just something that, is uh kind of gets lost in the wash and like i i didn't want to use it in like the final regression tree like in that article just because the sample size is so small right but i definitely think that like there's some signal there and uh yeah i want to kind of keep working to try to capture that a little bit better yeah that's cool I, I i do like that you also brought up this idea that what we see at the combine isn't everything because it's out of context and one of the players who did not test very well was wide receiver calvin ridley uh, he disappointed at the combine with a 30th percentile spark score. Where does he rank for you among rookie wide receivers with that in mind? Uh, I would say second right now behind DJ Moore, the goat. Uh, I know you, I know JJ <laughs> talked about him last week. JJ's been stumping for him everywhere, man. Yeah, he's. I mean, DJ Moore is just awesome. I think, kind of like the clear number one for me. But Ridley is like there for all the red flags that Ridley has because I. I Believe me, if you look at my timeline, like, I've trashed this guy a bunch. Like, <laughs> super old, like, he's going to be 24, not athletic, like, in the, in the like, tested combine sense. You know, not, like, otherworldly market share numbers, which is something that I care about. But, like, there's just something to the fact that he's probably going to be, like, a top 10 or 15 pick. And, like, all the research that I've done, I know you mentioned, like, the uh, the receiver modeling that I've been working on. All that stuff shows that what the film guys say really matters. And the film guys say that Calvin Ridley is a good player. So, like, I think that we really can't just dismiss that. Like, I'm certainly going to bump him down a little bit, you know, in light of these, you know, aforementioned red flags. 
But the receiver class really isn't that great to begin with. So when you have a guy that's probably going to be taken high in the first round, you know, that obviously comes with a lot of opportunity. I think that he still has probably the second best chance out of everyone, uh, you know, to, to post a successful career or at least have like a couple of successful seasons where you can use him uh, in fantasy. Another one of the players you profiled in the Combine Losers piece at RotoViz is Mike Gisecki. Is that, or Gisecki? Is that how you say his name? Uh, Gisecki, yeah. Is Mike Gisecki. And you noted that he was fine, but every other tight end in the class failed to impress at the Combine. And so with that in mind, how should tight end needy dynasty owners approach the position in a down year like this? Would you pay up for him in rookie drafts? Uh, it's interesting because I think last year we obviously saw uh, a bunch of tight ends go high. I mean, we had David Njoku, O.J. Howard, and Evan Ingram. I think all those guys, in kind of their own way, impressed as rookies. I mean, Ingram was obviously phenomenal. But I think even Howard and Njoku like, showed you enough where you felt good about that investment after year one. Uh, I'm probably not looking to spend those same kinds of prices on Gesicki. I think that he's phenomenal. I mean, the the raw athleticism is just unbelievable, and he definitely has like all the stuff that you want in a future great tight end. It's a little worrisome to me that like he wasn't super productive at Penn State, but I don't necessarily I'm not like super into the Penn State coaching staff, so I, I, it kind of gives me a chance to trash them a little bit more. Well, I mean, they were feeding Saquon so much too. It's right. it's hard to know what yeah whether the other players deserved more market share there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, especially with Saquon, like what he does as a receiver. Mm-hmm. So I think that, like, in, like, the late second round, maybe even the mid-second round, I- I'm looking to pull the trigger there because those guys definitely still, like we said before, like the other skill positions really aren't great. Uh, so that kind of, uh, you know, moves tight end up by default. But still tight end, those guys still take time to, to break out. And I think ultimately you're better off, like, trading for a guy who – maybe wasn't immediately productive than you are you know, drafting a guy with, with relatively decent uh, rookie draft capital. So are there any non-rookie tight ends that you would recommend as a trade target? Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm always stumping for Jordan Reed. Like, uh, <laughs> I think that he's, still? he just, yeah, he continues to fall though. That's the thing. Like last year he was still like pretty solidly a top 10 guy. Now, if you look at DLF's ADP, he's 14th at tight end and, if you look at some of these drafts, uh, you know Dallas Goddard and Mark Andrews and Mike Kosicki, uh have gone ahead of, of Jordan Reed in some of these drafts. So that kind of means that Jordan Reed's draft value, depending on your league, you know he could be worth you could he could be had for like a late second round rookie pick. And I kind of think that that is a really a really smooth opportunity to buy. I mean Jordan Reed's lack of productivity has never had to do with what he's been able to do like on the field. It's always just been about like not being on the field to begin with. So I think even like, I think that some of those games missed or they're starting to get closer to being priced in. And even with the quarterback change to Alex Smith, you know, we obviously saw Alex Smith feature, uh, you know, feed Travis Kelsey pretty heavily. I think that Reed's always been featured when he's been healthy. So uh, I, I definitely like buying him just cause I mean, like for me, I just want the immediate results. I don't want to mm-hmm. wait you know, two or three years for like a Goddard to, to pop or something. There have been some rumblings about Jimmy Graham maybe going back to New Orleans. What do you think about him if, if that happens? Is he a guy that you would target? Oh, that's intriguing. I mean, I think that if that happened, the value would kind of go away. Like right now, 
Right. Because he's kind of coming off like a eh season and he's older and he doesn't have a team. Like the the value is, is kind of nice. Like he's basically like tight end 11, tight end 12 in a lot of drafts. But I think that if you went back to New Orleans, like people would like the hype bus would start right back up. You know, like all of a mm-hmm. sudden he'd be he'd be valued inside like that top eight or so. Yeah, there's that nostalgia associated with him in that uniform. And people are going to remember what he's done with Drew Brees in the past and not really take into account the fact that, that was however many years ago. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's completely different. I mean, I he's not the same player. I mean, even, you know, Colston, who like always stated with the Saints like those. Those points go away, like those mm-hmm. legs go, and then you're just not the same guy. Well, and Drew Brees might not necessarily be the same guy anyway. Like, I think he's still very good, and he's a guy I think is probably going to be undervalued this year just because he is getting older, and he was slightly worse from a like a compiling of stats approach or, or, or viewpoint last season. I just, I, I mean, he's still hyper-efficient, and I think that that's going to carry him through to another top 10 QB finish, but people, I think they're just bored of Drew Brees, and they don't really want to draft him anymore, but there's there is some slight decline there and you know his decline plus jimmy graham's decline like you have to temper your expectations with with this sort of stuff and not just assume that oh because he was good there three years ago he'll be good there you know this year that's not how it works um let's talk about running backs in your combine winners piece uh, you tabbed both royce freeman and ken balage as winners at that position which one of the two do you prefer in a vacuum and why Definitely Freeman for me. I mean, the production is just amazing. Like it's there, it's there in a way where it's not even close to being there for Ballage. Like he just never was able to be like the lead runner. He was never really like a key focal point of the offense. But Freeman, you know, he already has three different seasons with over 240 carries. Uh, he has 79 career receptions in four years. So uh, he's been able to be productive on the field before, and he fits like this. Um, interesting kind of high efficiency profile that I wrote up at Rotoviz uh, a few months ago, but pretty much like these guys who average over six yards per carry and ten yards per reception in a season, uh, they go on to be pretty productive. They're running back ones at a really high clip, and uh, Freeman did that as a sophomore, and uh, just missed doing it again this year. He he was he did it, but he didn't meet like the the reception baseline that I set when I was doing the study by, by, by one, literally one catch. So like he's really, he's pretty much done it twice. Um, and he's just this really hyper efficient guy with a ton of touches. And I just think that that's like a, uh, kind of almost like reminiscent of Le'Veon Bell. Like, I don't want to say that he is Le'Veon Bell, but like those that like bigger bodied guy coming out of college who like somehow puts up numbers. It like, that's, that's a really intriguing profile to me. And he was super agile. I mean, you're a fantasy analyst, right? You know how to properly set arbitrary endpoints. You couldn't have just included that one fewer reception number to to get him into that into that cohort. Well, he's already in, so I just you know. I oh, didn't from want the preview. To, uh, yeah. All right, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> you got to massage the numbers, man. I'm telling you. Um, so if you had to pick an NFL team for Ballage to go to, where he could most easily prove you wrong, you know, and and actually be a better player than Freeman in the NFL. Where do you think his best fit is? Well, I think that he ultimately is going to kind of earn his money catching passes out of the backfield. I mean, he looked really good in all the receiving drills at the combine. He has like traditionally been an effective receiver. So I kind of think the Giants are a really nice spot. I know that the Giants have talked about Saquon, and I, I pray every night that they don't select him and that they just take a quarterback. But 
you know, the Giants have been like in this weird position offensively where they haven't really been able to run the ball particularly successfully, successfully, uh, but they have still thrown the ball to the running back a bunch. Um, but what they've had to do a lot is like make all these substitutions. Like they got to take out Paul Perkins and put in Shane Vereen or, you know, Orleans Darkwell has to come out. Like they, they have like all these bit pieces that they kind of just try to put together as one running back. But I think that it makes if, it predictable, right? If they had Belage, they could kind of just keep him in there. He's big enough to do, I think, some of like the traditional big back stuff. I don't think the Giants optimally should be trying to run the ball a ton anyway. Uh, and he's obviously on the field to to do all the stuff out of the backfield, the fun stuff, as I like to call it. Yeah. So outside of Saquon. Who else besides you know him and, and the other guys we've talked about today has caught your eye from what they put up at the combine? Is there anybody else at running back or wide receiver or tight end that you're intrigued by? Uh, I mean, am I, am I allowed to go back to DJ Moore? For, yeah, no, for absolutely, do it, man. I mean, this is this is something where, just as a sidebar, fantasy and analysis is tough sometimes because there is that echo chamber, right? Like if everybody starts to say stuff just to say it, like that's one thing, but that shouldn't stop us from actually touting the players that we believe are good. And if JJ believes TJ Moore is good, but so do you, the fact that, you know, our listeners are hearing that from two different people, that matters, right? Cause it's not just one person's opinion. It's like, you could go to an NFL scout and say, you know, who's the best quarterback in this class. And that scout will tell you one thing and a different scout will tell you another thing in fantasy. And in that sort of, you know, uh, mindset, you have to think about, what what is the prevailing opinion here? And if the prevailing opinion is that DJ Moore is very good, then you know we we should talk about that. We we should you know dive further in. So please hit us with your DJ Moore takes. I love it. I mean, I he just completely smashed the combine. Like I I thought he was exceptional because of the college production. I really like his body type, two hundred and ten pounds at six feet. And he, you know, I always like to say that the athleticism reveals itself in the production, and then we like to see it confirmed at the combine. And he super confirmed it. I mean, he ran a 4.42 at 210 pounds, which is awesome. 39 and a half vertical, 11 foot broad jump, 3 point, uh, sorry, 3.6.953 cone. So if you look at kind of all these numbers uh, in the context of like historical and player profile, it kind of lays all this out for you really nicely. 95th percentile speed score, 94th percentile burst. 71st percentile agility, like just a really, really good athlete. 91st percentile Spark X. Athletically, he's exceptional. Production-wise, he's been exceptional. It confirms, I think, to me that he's exceptional. And I, that's like something I don't think we necessarily talk about enough. Like we, we like to see like the combine and be like, all right, like this guy did really, really well. So draft him now like in the first round. And, or this guy stunk, so don't take him. But really like what we should be looking for at the combine is like kind of confirmation of what all the other data points are telling us, because if the film is telling us something and the production is telling us the same thing and the combine is telling us the same thing, then like we should feel a lot better that that thing is true. So right now everything is telling us that DJ Moore is good. So I feel pretty good that he's good. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, it'll be interesting to see where he gets drafted relative to the other wide receivers in in this class, because he is a little bit shorter, you know, like those guys don't Mm -hmm. always, command the highest draft capital is, is pretty fascinating. Do you have any preference for where he goes or any you know predictions on where he might end up? I mean, I think ultimately he's probably going to end up towards the back half of the first round because uh, he is rising. I mean, that's the weird thing about the combine is like it just kind of like artificially rises all these guys. Uh, so, I mean, obviously if he landed on a team like uh, the Falcons or the Saints, like that would be 
to die for because mm-hmm. he's not even going to see like that top coverage. That's kind of where I'm hoping right now. I mean, maybe he goes in the second round and he ends up being like the number one guy for a team like San Francisco or something. I think that'd be really cool too. But uh, I don't really think that, you know, as long as the quarterback he lands with is decent, I think that he's going to end up being pretty good. Yeah, that's half the battle. Well, hey, do you got anything else before we wrap this show up, Anthony? No, I mean, just, you know, I keep checking the stuff that I'm pumping at Rotoviz and 2QBs. I mean, I think that right now a lot of my focus is on all this, like, modeling and regression trees. And I'm just trying to, like, I'm just trying to look at the game a little bit differently each time. And right now I'm trying to work on some stuff with running backs in terms of, like, breakout age and dominator rating and stuff like that. So, you know, I can't promise that it's all good, but I can promise that it's all at least somewhat unique and, and, you know, trying to break the mold a little bit. So, you know, keep checking that out. Yeah, good stuff. And I'll throw up links in the show notes to the Armchair Scouting Report series to uh, those articles that I've referenced over at RotoViz because I, I really enjoyed all those and they're worth checking out. Anthony really does a lot of research into all this stuff. And um, you may not want to say that they're good, but I'll say that they're good. Follow Anthony on Twitter at Amixta, A-M-I-C-S-T-A. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce, and you can find the site on Twitter at 2QBs. And you spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, if you have any questions that are you know longer than the 280 characters you get on Twitter, you can always email us as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. And please do us a favor, rate and review the podcast. That really helps. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. That also helps. And uh, otherwise, we will catch you next time on the 2QB experience. Adios. Today's episode of the 2QB Experience is brought to you by the Fan-Controlled Football League. What if I were to tell you that there was a professional football league where you, the fan, got to draft the team and call the plays? Is that something you might be interested in? The Fan-Controlled Football League is bringing managerial control to the fans. Visit fcfl.io to learn more. Power to the fans.